the Lord. It is good to be in God's house this morning. And it's great to celebrate all the dads that are here on Sunday morning on Father's Day. I don't know about you, but I was blessed this morning. I woke up and it smelled like bacon in my house and cinnamon rolls and coffee. I'm telling you, I don't know if there are three better smells other than like freshly cut wood or freshly cut grass or gasoline. Some those are some of the, you know, the, some of the guys' favorite smells, right guys? Um, or, or their wife's perfume on a Friday night, just saying, praise God, hallelujah. Um, but woke up feeling like a blessed man and uh, just celebrating the goodness of our God and excited to be together this morning to uh, dive into the word for this Father's Day to see what God might have in store for us to be encouraged as a community um, celebrating this day. It's, it's like a triple whammy, though, on this June 19th, because as we have already celebrated, it's uh, Boomy, my sister-in-law's birthday, and then it's also Juneteenth. For those who aren't aware of the Juneteenth holiday celebration, which commemorates uh, uh, really the, the delayed announcement and declaration of, of freedom and emancipation, 1865. And so we want to celebrate as well because we know that's a significant part of our heritage as a very uh, multicultural church, uh, recognizing that when God uh, uh, has given us uh, rules and laws to live by in our land, and one of them being that all of us are created equal, we believe that God means all of us. Amen? Not just some of us, not just those of us who have lighter skin color, uh, but God means all of us are created equal in the eyes of God. And so we want to celebrate today uh, the significant um, um, just remembrance of the fact that, uh, that it is important for us to live into those values. Amen? Um, so we are going to dive into Father's Day. I was kind of, uh, you know, driving driving here to church, and I got off on the freeway. And typically right there, you know, when you're coming down the 110 South, exiting Torrance Boulevard, right next to the swap meet, the Alpine Village area, you know, usually you see kind of all the vendors that are out there. And on Mother's Day, man, it was like there was a big row of people selling flowers and roses and all kinds of goodies for Mother's Day. And I got off on the freeway, and there was no extra vendors out there today. And then I saw one standing there, and I was like, I wonder what they got. And, and they had duct tape. They were selling duct tape for Father's Day. And I was like, all right, okay, they're, they're with it, duct tape. And then the next one had screwdrivers, um, and the next one had spatulas, grill spatulas. So I was like, all right, I guess they, they, they know what they're doing on Father's Day. Because um, what are we going to do with flowers. I'm just saying. Um, but, but as we, uh, as we get ready to dive into God's word, um, one of the things that is really clear to me, uh, as, as we, as we come together, as we, as we come around the word of God and simply say, Lord, how might you want to encourage us as the body of Christ on this special father's day? The first thing that I want to share as we get ready to open in God's word. In fact, the first thing I want to look at scripturally, if you want to turn there with me is Galatians. Uh, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's a, a very important passage to start with as we encourage ourselves. What I don't want today's message to be is uh, a message where it feels like all the guys just come here and get beat up because you're reminded how bad of a dad you are, okay? Because the bottom line is, raise your hand if you're a perfect dad. None of us, right? All of us are imperfect. All of us have things that we're working on. All of us have areas that we need to grow in. And so today, I want for today to be an opportunity for us to be encouraged, motivated, and inspired to pursue uh, being the man of God that God wants us to be. Amen? 
right? Um, one of the things that I've learned uh, throughout playing, uh, you know, football, baseball, sports, all throughout my life, uh, track, whatever it is, is that if you, if you sit around and complain about what you're not, but you don't focus on who you can be, then you're not going to go very far right? And so today is not about beating anybody over the head and telling you all the ways in which you've messed up, all the, all the ways in which you could be better or should have been better. Today is simply an invitation and opportunity for us to step our game up. Is that all right? Um, and, and so uh, we're, we'll start with Galatians chapter 5. I, I'm grateful in my life that uh, I've been surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. I've been surrounded by an army of men, role models that I've been able to look to and say, I want to do this the way that they do it. I want to do that the way that this person does it. And, and it's great because there doesn't always have to be just this one perfect person that does all things right. But I could take this from this one dad. I could take this from another dad. I could take this from another dad. And, and I could tell myself, I want to borrow those things so that when I become a dad, I can put those things into practice. Does that make sense? So even as I, as I am a dad and I have my own three kids, there's not one person that I've tried to copy or emulate, but there have been multiple people that God has blessed me with as role models and examples, whether they be dads or Royal Ranger commanders or youth leaders or, or teachers or coaches or grandparents, whoever it may be, that I've been able to say, you know what? I want to make my kids laugh like this, this guy does. I want to make sure I prioritize my family like this person does. I want to make sure I lead my home spiritually like this person does. I want to make sure I have grace and patience like this dad does. And it's a wonderful thing to be in a community because not one of us is perfect, but we all get a chance to contribute to this community that is growing and raising the next generation of godly men and godly fathers. Isn't that awesome? And I know we got a, a bunch of future fathers that are here this morning right? Some who aren't a dad yet. Some who are really close. Maybe you're married and maybe you guys are, are praying and working on, on uh, you know, that next step and that's a blessing. Some of you might be in a serious dating relationship and you might be just a few steps away. Others of you uh, might just be saying, Lord, I just need to have a girlfriend first and that'll be a good first step. Amen. Praise. Some of you are like, man, you just need to pick one girlfriend, all right? And just stick with that one for a little while, okay? Um, uh, but but as we even as I think about Father's Day, something that God put on my heart today to talk to the young guys, some of the you know the college age guys, young adults, teenagers, even a little bit younger than that, is uh, is really to encourage all of us here because we're all responsible for building the next generation of fathers, right? Like I said, we could we could sit here and we could man we could have a processing session for hours talking about all the ways in which maybe we are carrying some wounds and pain from things in the past, right? Some of us in here, even on this Father's Day, uh, it's a hard time because you're remembering your father who might not be with us anymore physically, right? And so it can be a really ch challenging and tough day. But I want us to look forward, right? I want us to be able to look forward and say, what are we doing today to build the next generation of godly fathers? Okay, because that's important, right? Again, it's not about where we are right now, but it's where God wants to take us. Okay, and we get to do that together. Guess what? A godly father is not born overnight. 
right? A godly father just doesn't all of a sudden, the, the moment that that first child is born and, and they become a biological father in that very first moment, it's not in that very instant that somebody it walks into a life of what it means to be a godly father. There are years and years of investment that lead up to that moment so that at that point, somebody is ready to walk into a life where they are equipped and ready not to be perfect, but to be able to follow the model of Jesus in their family's life. Okay, and that takes hard work, and guess whose work that is? All of our work. So like I said, this isn't a sermon that's meant to say, how have you failed and how have you succeeded as a father? This is a sermon that says, how can we build the next generation of godly fathers? And guess whose job that is? All of our job. Amen? So on that note, I want to simply start by saying one of the best things that we can do for the next generation of godly fathers is to teach our kids at a very young age how to work hard. Some of you are like, okay, where are we going with this, Pastor Koba? The, 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 the thing about this generation of kids that is interesting for me, I love being a coach. I coach in the parks. I, I get a bunch of these kids that are not my kids, so they were not raised in my own home, but now I get to step in and help teach them how to field a ground ball or swing a bat. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because in that moment, I'll have a kid say something to me that my kid will never say to another adult. And I have to ask myself that question. All right, Lord, what would a godly baseball coach do in this moment? <laughs> because I know what I want to do, right? What you say to me? Right. I've heard that one. I've heard that one. Pastor Josh just said, you're not my dad. Yeah, you're right. I'm not, but I'm your coach, right? But it's, it's interesting. One of the greatest things we can instill in our kids and the future uh, godly fathers of tomorrow is the ability to learn how to work hard. Okay, that's one of the, one of the greatest things we can do, right? Here's the second thing. Learn how to work hard without complaining. Okay? Because if there's anything that's going to make great dads, it's somebody who recognizes that they live for those that God has called them to serve. Not for themselves, not for their own desires, not for their own wishes, right? And so discipline, the ability to work hard, the ability to work hard and not complain, the ability to put somebody else first, those are qualities and characteristics that will help prepare the next generation of godly fathers. What happens is selfishness, greed, laziness end up taking over and can hold someone back from being able to live into the godly fatherhood that God wants for them. Okay? And so that, that's one of the things that starts early. Right? That, again, that cannot be something that all of a sudden we try to instill in somebody when they're 25, 30 years old. That's something that starts really early because those are the building blocks of what it looks like to step into a life where all of a sudden now that that person is no longer the center of their family, but all of a sudden now they are the, the chief servant officer of their home. Okay? Here's why that's important because that leads a wonderful example for every single person to learn what that's like. So that's one thing that I'm really, 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 really interested in investing in my kids, my sons and my daughter, is to teach them how to work hard and to not complain. That doesn't mean that they always work hard, and that doesn't mean that they never complain. What that means is whenever that happens, I'm always correcting it, right? One of the things in parenting that can be challenging is saying the same thing over and over again. And unfortunately, when somebody gets tired of doing that and they stop saying that one thing, well, then guess what happens? That value that we were trying to instill all of a sudden goes away. Why? Because we ran out of energy to reinforce the things that are important. 
right? And so these are significant things for us. These are really practical tips. I want to weave in and out of what the Word of God is saying and practical tips today as we challenge ourselves to, to, to prepare and build up the next generation of godly fathers. Amen? Um, so let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. And I want us, again, this is not an invitation to start beating ourselves up and saying, I, I'm lame at that, and I could do way better at that, and I give myself a, a one out of ten on that. This is not uh, a, an invitation to start sulking. This is an opportunity for us to challenge ourselves, to give ourselves a playbook. Can everybody say playbook? playbook. See, the, thing about, the, the, the good thing about having a good playbook is that you don't have to just show up to a game or an event or life you don't have to show up without a plan as to how you're going to go about that day. The moment we show up without a plan, right, one of the things is that if we don't have a plan for the enemy, the enemy is going to have a plan for us, right? And so a playbook, right, which God has given us in the word of God is this, this, this opportunity for us to be able to say, I am aiming for this target, Right? What am I aiming for when, I, when it comes to being a godly father, when it comes to being a man of God? If we, be, if we begin to establish what that target is, then we can clearly, regularly challenge ourselves to move toward that target, right? And I know in some ways, we, we try to take uh, steps forward building on the, the, the successes of our previous generation, right? I know uh, as I think about my, my grandfather and my father and myself and my brothers and all of us, how we continue to try to challenge ourselves to be better and to improve, right? For my grandfather, his uh, main focus, I would say for uh, my, my paternal grandfather, his main focus, right, was to make sure that his family understood the word of God and understood what it meant to fear God and follow Jesus, right? That was really, really important. Um, the one thing that he might not have understood is that the kids need some quality time with their dad. They need conversation with their dad. They, they need to be able to ask questions, and they need to be, be able to know that their dad is approachable. That wasn't on his radar in the 1950s and 60s, okay? It, for him, it was, you know what, let's make sure that there's, you know, the kids have food on the table, they have a roof over their head, and that they know Jesus. Those are important values, aren't they? So I think my father took that and, and wanted to build on that and began to instill those same principles, but then started to add, but you know what, my, my kids, you know, they, they need to go and do sports because not everything is of the devil, as the, the generation before said, right? I mean, it's, it, we, we chuckle about it now, but isn't that the, the truth about generational, how things have changed? And so my father's like, it's okay, they can play sports, and, and it's okay, we can, we can go to a movie together as a family, and it's okay, we could do these various things. And so, and so, and so he, he began to recognize that quality time was something that was important, right? Um, and, 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 uh, and so one of the things that, that I, I recognize that I want to build on that is, okay, I want to have quality time as well. But one thing that I recognize in myself as a dad who wants to provide and teach my children the ways of God and, and, and instill all these different things is that uh, one of the things that's challenging is coming home from a busy day or a busy week, right? Driving, commuting, all these different things. And then I get home and I recognize the importance of physical presence. But then I, I, I see and sense in myself sometimes the, the, the temptation to be physically present but emotionally absent. I sense in myself sometimes wanting to get home and all I want to do is check to see what the Dodgers score is and see what's going on with the College World Series, right, and all these other things. And next thing you know, I've been home for an hour, but I haven't made eye contact with my kids once. 
right? And so I recognize in my own self a need to continue to challenge myself to grow and build on what my generational line has given me, but to say I want to be even better, right? And I want to uh, uh, prepare my kids so that they could be even better. Amen? So here we have uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So it says here, and the fruit of the Spirit, everybody say the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to, for, for there to be fruit of the Spirit? What it simply means is if we imagine that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit of God, I want to I wanna touch more on this in just a moment, but the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like a tree, right? It's like a tree. And the fruit of that tree, so the fruit that grows on that tree that comes out from, from having the Holy Spirit's presence in our life are the following things as listed in Galatians 5 by the Apostle Paul. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Everybody say love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So again, this isn't like an exhaustive list of all the things that we should aspire to, but this is definitely a really good place to start. Right, The fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit at work is and then begins to list these things love now one of the things that i really appreciate is watching a father's love right father love and mother love sometimes are similar but oftentimes are different right father love and when i look at my own household and the way that my wife and i parent and you know we kind of work together and we try to stay on the same page and we're always in com conversation and communication about something hey have you noticed this what should we do about that and and how can we support each other and we try to have conversation and communication cuz we're we're parenting together which i i would just kind of note is one of the greatest tips for the young guys who aren't married yet as you think about the future of godly fatherhood is pick yourself a godly woman <laughs> <laughs> okay like if somebody were to ask me like if i'm a if i'm even qualified to be called a decent dad i'd be happy with that and if they were to say pastor Coble, what makes you a decent dad i would say an amazing wife that would be rule number one right why because she encourages me right she challenges me we work together right and so in that regard there's nothing that can replace having a woman of god right by your side okay I don't care what this world has to say, right? I know there's all kinds of images of what the family unit should look like on TV, uh, agendas that are coming our way to say, you could do it like this, you could do it like that. But what I would say is there is nothing better than a man of God and a woman of God, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, raising their family to be a witness for Jesus Christ in this world and a light unto this world. But love, coming back to this word love, right here in the fruit of the spirit love right might look a little differently i'm glad that the love that i received from my father growing up oftentimes was tough love sometimes it didn't feel like love right um in fact right now case in point i dropped off my three-year-old over here he's in uh, children's church thank you to all those who work in children's ministry we appreciate the ministry that you do to allow us to be here in the word of god for a few minutes together uh, but even as i dropped him off he's crying and yelling at me and saying all kinds of things to me because i didn't let him take what he wanted to take with him into class with him right right i'm glad that i did that and it's okay with me that he was yelling at me because he can't get whatever he wants whenever he wants it that's bad parenting, right? 
And so my role as a dad isn't to get him whatever he wants whenever he wants it. My role as a dad is to help him to know that there's a balance, son, between getting what you want, getting what you need. And dad knows what's best. And one day, if you feel like you have a better idea, then we'll sort that out. But we're not there yet. Right? And so love oftentimes doesn't only look like just just soft, gentle, affectionate love. Love is wanting what's best for the person that you're serving. Okay? It's like the way God loves us, right? The way God loves us. God doesn't just give us whatever we want, whenever we want it, however we want it. Sometimes we go through trials. Sometimes we go through circumstances where we can't explain or understand why we had to go through that. And we have more questions than answers. And sometimes we, we argue with God. And, and sometimes we can't understand why God does the things that he does. But we know that he loves us. Right? Because I, I want you to think about just for a second right now. We're not going to spend too much time on this. But think about for a second that the times in your life when you have grown the most oftentimes are the moments when you've gone through hardship. Right? Rarely have you, have you grown to a certain level in your own adulthood, maturity, faithfulness to Christ when everything is perfect. Oftentimes it's been through challenge that God has allowed you to go through something that has made you more into the faithful woman or the faithful man that you are. So God knows what we need and God loves us, but his love doesn't always look like, uh, you know, smiles and hugs and happiness. Sometimes it's tough. And so, and so we're called to love. Okay, we're called to love. Um, I love that our Heavenly Father loves us better than any of us can, can demonstrate on our own. Right? He loves us so much that he gave his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin so that we didn't have to take our own punishment for ourselves, upon ourselves, but Jesus took it on for him. And that his Heavenly Father right, gave his son to be crucified on the cross. In other words, it, that demonstrates the love of Jesus for us, that demonstrates the love of our Heavenly Father, that he would love us enough to allow Jesus to go through that for us, right? That's a lot of love. That's a lot of care that we have. So what do we have the invitation to do then as earthly fathers, right? And whether we be biological, whether we be adoptive, whether we be, you know, stand in, you're kind of filling in the gap for somebody else, whatever it may be, there's a lot of different kinds of fathers, aren't there? Aren't you glad that, that we have a lot of different kinds of fathers around us? Right? Specifically, I sent a few text messages this morning to some of my past coaches in my life because they've been like fathers to me over my life, right? Which is a blessing. But the one thing that we get a chance to do is emulate the love of the Father, the love of our Heavenly Father, right? Uh, okay, so love and then joy. Everybody say joy. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Okay, so this might be the, the thing that I have to remind myself on because, again, like I said, there's a certain aspect in me that wants to train and teach my kids a particular way and establish, you know, a, a particular kind of order in the home. And every once in a while, I have to remind myself, you know what, they just need you to go jump in the trampoline with them right now, right? Because, yeah, they still need to go clean their room, and, yes, they need to help with the dishes, and, yes, they need to do all these other things, but also they just need to go jump in the trampoline for a little while and wrestle in the living room. Okay. Why? Because it's going to bring a bond of togetherness. Why? Because what's going to happen in those moments? We're going to be laughing. We're going to be smiling. We're going to be creating a connection, right? And so that's one of the things I want to challenge our dads with, right? Because sometimes we see our role as, you know, kind of enforcing things or, or whatever it may be, but there's nothing that's healthier for our families than for our families to laugh together. Amen. It's a fruit of the spirit. Joy. 
So when you, when you find yourself in a car, in a road trip, and all of a sudden you guys are laughing hysterically together, guess what? There's spiritual things happening in that moment. Okay, when you're at home and you take a break from the homework and all these different things that are serious and hard, and all of a sudden now something just causes you to kind of bust up laughing and you can't even hold it together, guess what? Spiritual things are happening in that moment. Why? Because the fruit of the spirit of joy is present in your home in that moment. Patience, or excuse me, I skip peace. I would skip peace, wouldn't I? Peace. Everybody say peace. 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 Man, this is probably one of the hardest things to uphold in the home when you've got multiple kids. It's a constant battle, isn't it? (laughs) It's a constant battle to work on how do we pursue the peace of God in this home, right? It's hard. I mean, when we grew up, the only way that we, we, we kind of had like uh, 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 the, all the boys in the house, Josh, David, me, plus we had all of our friends over and cousins and teammates. So it was always mayhem over there. And, and I don't know, man, sometimes it was like my mom was doing taxes or washing dishes. My dad was like preaching somewhere or reading a newspaper and we had to solve things on our own. And that was crazy. It was like Lord of the Flies or like... Uh, there was a pretty clear pecking order there, just kind of, that's how peace was established there. So in my home, I try to like, you know, humanize it a little bit more. But we got to pursue, right? Being able to say, okay, Lord, what does it look like to walk in and live in peace in our home, right? What does it look like for us to practice that? Because human nature is prone toward the opposite of that. If we look at Russia, Ukraine, the opposite of that. If we look at our own country and divisions, the opposite of that. So how do we establish pursuing God's peace in our homes? And what's our role in that, right? That's significant, okay? The next one kind of comes along with that, but patience, everybody say patience. Patience, man, that's a tough one. Woo! And I know for me, I'm gonna, I'll be the first one to admit that I gotta pray, and that's probably one of the fruit of the Spirit that I gotta say, Lord, I need you here because... I'm running out of patience, right? And oftentimes I find that there's two things that contribute to me being frustrated with uh, not being able to have patience when I should. One of them is uh, I'm I'm on a time crunch, right? Uh, We got to get to school on time or we got to get to church on time or we got to get here and and we're constantly on a rush and on the go. And every once in a while I've been convicted personally of, of simply saying, well, if I wasn't so busy, maybe I'd have a little more patience, right? If I wasn't so on the go trying to do all the things, then maybe I'd be able to kind of take a step back and, and not try to enforce what I want to see happen in the time frame if I just kind of create a little bit more margin for myself, right? Or for my family. That's an important one. So, one, so that's one of the things that contributes to the lack of patience is being out of time, right? The second thing is, uh, is for me uh, wanting to simply uh, kind of see what I want to see happen quickly as opposed to talking it through, right? As opposed to being able to explain and, and things like that. I find myself getting out of patience when I, like, I don't feel like I have time and I don't really want to explain myself. And then I, what do I do? I snap, right? And so I want to challenge myself in that area as a dad in this coming year to be better in that area, right? Amen? Um, Kindness, everybody, kindness. Kindness, this is a good one, okay? A good one. 
kindness. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about in our home is that our kids oftentimes will, will simply mirror what they see us do. So even if I'm parenting and I'm giving hard advice, right, and, and, and I'm, I'm expecting something or I'm, I'm speaking sternly or whatever it may be, I have to remember that whatever I'm giving to them, they're going to give back, right? So if I give them kindness, guess what they're going to give back? Kindness, right? If I give them meanness, guess what they're going to give back? Meanness, right? It comes back. It, it's mirrored. And so even with our great intentions, whatever we give them, that's what we're going to see come back. Right. And so that's another area that that we my wife and I always talk about is, OK, I know we want to react this way or respond that way. But but we're, we're kind of feeding them with what we want to see come out of them. So what are we going to feed them? Let's feed them kindness. Right. Um, let's feed them, them these different things. Goodness, faithfulness. Right. This is a good one. Gentleness and self-control. And so these are, these are amazing uh, place to start for us. Fruit of the Spirit, being able to say, Lord, cultivate in us these attributes and characteristics so that we can model what it looks like to live for you. Amen? Um, so the, the, the connected to that verse, connected to Galatians chapter 5, and looking at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, recognizing that it's kind of like a tree and the, the fruit is hanging from that tree, is also recognizing the beauty of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's why that's so important. That might seem kind of obvious. It might seem like a, a given, but I don't want to run past that without remarking on the fact that it's so important to have a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ. The beauty of that is when we open ourselves and we surrender and we say, Lord, I want you to live in me. Like Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's you who live in me. It is impossible to, with, to withstand over a period of time a lifestyle that is inconsistent with the work of the Holy Spirit spirit and what God wants to do in our lives, right? When we constantly are in conversation and communication with the Lord, when we constantly surrender ourselves and say, God, I want to be more like you. Lord, I want my speech to sound more like yours. I want my actions to be more like yours. I want my life to reflect you. When we are going toward the Lord with that intent and we are regularly and consistently presenting ourselves before God, it is impossible for us to live a life that doesn't look like fruit of the spirit that we just talked about. Because the Holy Spirit begins to work on us and say, hey, 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 that was a little too tough. Hey, 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 a little bit more gentleness, okay, next time. Or hey, 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 you need to go ask for forgiveness because that wasn't cool what you just did, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's so significant and important to cultivate a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because it's that relationship where we open ourselves where all of a sudden we begin to experience this this and, and, and sometimes it's harsh but oftentimes I experience it very gently where there's this conviction that says here we can do better than that we can do better than that right and it's this invitation to simply say that we are constantly presenting ourselves to the Lord in that regard amen Okay, so now I want us just briefly to turn to the Old Testament to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, and we're going to wrap up um, the second part of the Father's Day sermon by looking at this, this book in Nehemiah. Like I said, I want, I want for us to be motivated and inspired to pursue what God has for us, this opportunity that God has for us. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah. I love the story of Nehemiah. I know that uh, in the men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, 
Um, we went through Nehemiah not too long ago. And so there were a couple of takeaways in there that are powerful for us as we think about uh, this day specifically, Father's Day, and what this looks like. Um, and so I want to I read a little bit of Nehemiah and point out some things about the, the book of Nehemiah that help us to reflect upon what it might look like to, to be godly men in this current day and age that we live in. Nehemiah, I want to, to take a look at verse 3 of chapter 1. So it says this, They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah talking, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So this is the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. He, had, he heard a report about the status of how things are going in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, by the way, was uh, he was in Babylon. He was in exile, but he was uh, uh, kind of a high up in, as an official there. He was the king's cupbearer, which meant he had everything that he could want. He had a comfortable life. He lived in the palace. Everything that you could ask for personally, right, in terms of his own wants and needs, whatever he wanted to eat, he could eat when whenever he wanted to eat. Whatever he wanted to drink, he could drink whenever he wanted to drink. Anything that he wanted, he had access to in his life in Babylon. But he was from Jerusalem, and he heard a report about how things were going in Jerusalem, and they said, Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls that were destroyed are still destroyed. Smoke is still rising from the ashes, and the people who are living there are in disgrace. So Nehemiah, who was actually in a very comfortable place personally, heard this terrible news about his hometown, Jerusalem, and, and it says in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out about his response to what's taking place in Jerusalem during this time, during this period of exile, is that the, the status of not just his own well-being, but those around him broke his heart. It caused him to be moved with compassion. It caused him to have concern for others. Again, like I said, one of the greatest things we can do to prepare the next generation of godly fathers is to learn how to have concern for those around you, right? Because we have a responsibility that God has given us, not just to look out for ourselves and our own needs or wants, but to actually take a look at what's going on around us. So Nehemiah had a father's heart because even though his life was comfortable, he saw that his family was in distress and he said something needs to be done, right? He was willing to, uh, to act. What was his first act? His first act was to cry. Some of you might be thinking, man, that's not a very manly thing to do, Nehemiah. You heard bad news and you started crying? Come on, what kind of man does that? A man who's moved because the bottom line is this, when you are moved, action comes right after if you're not moved, no action comes. If you don't care, you're not going to do anything about it. If it doesn't bother you, you're not going to change the world. But if something is, is bothered within you because of the state of our world, of our neighborhood, of our schools, of our children, of our families, of our marriages, if that gets you to the point where you say it cannot be this way any longer, we want to see that end. We want to see healthy marriages. We want to see kids who grow up healthy. We want to see our kids who know how to serve the Lord and worship the Lord. We want to see our, our, our neighborhoods where they're not killing each other or calling each other names or dividing themselves. We want to see this world go to a place that better reflects the glory of God. And 
and, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I see us taking steps in that direction. That's the first step here is recognizing that when we see brokenness around us, it moves us on the inside because when it moves us on the inside, it prepares us for action on the outside, right? We're we're raising up a man in this church who aren't going to simply make themselves a comfortable life and not care about what's going on around them. We're raising up a man, a culture of men here who are going to be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if there's any issues going on around us within my friends and family, I'm going to step in and try to do something about it because God has given me the vision and the eyes of a leader. (laughs) Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah could have ended in verse four right there. He could have just said, you know what? Sucks for them. End of story. Next story. Right? I mean, it it could have ended by him not caring. But instead, he began to cry, right? And it's okay to cry because oftentimes what that means is something moved in us. And, when, and, and, and there, there is nothing more dangerous against the plans of the enemy, against the plans of Satan, than a group of men who are stirred up about something. Okay? If the enemy has us where he wants us, if there's a group of men who don't care about anything other than who won the NBA finals, and if it wasn't the Lakers, we don't care. The enemy would have us right where he wants us if we get to the point where we just kind of grow numb to life, go to work, show up, eight, nine hours, come home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to sleep, go to work, uh, eight, nine hours, come home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to sleep. The enemy would love for us to, to allow ourselves to get, to get, to get lulled to sleep by life by not caring about what's going on in our own homes or around us. So Nehemiah starts out simply here by him asking a question. How's it going? They said it's not going very good. So Nehemiah begins to cry. Is that a manly thing? Absolutely, because watch what follows. He begins to cry, and then it says, and then he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed. Some of us might be thinking, well, that's not action yet, Pastor Koba. Right? I, I want to hear some action. Where's the action at? He just fasted and he mourned and he prayed. What's active about that? How's that going to change the world? Well, I'll tell you something. When, when you see a man who's moved by something, and who then takes that before the Lord and says, God, I can't do this on my own. You're going to have to give me strength. You're going to have to give me vision. You're going to have to give me encouragement. You're going to have to give me wisdom and direction. You're going to have to give me the resources. When you see a man who is moved and stirred by how broken things are in this world, and that bring that before the Lord who, who has all the resources that we need when we don't think we have them, then you have a combination that's getting ready to change the world. So by crying, by praying, by fasting, and by mourning, right, Nehemiah was preparing for something earth-shattering to take place. Okay, so he's moved. What happens when you're moved by something? What happens when you're messed up by something? When you're messed up by something, guess what? You can't keep it in. Right? You can't keep it in. So that's the next step in this story. Watch what, look look what happens in chapter 2. Nehemiah uh, goes back and, and, and he's, me- he's messed up to the point where he's trying to do his job. And the king, who's his boss, says, something's wrong with you, Nehemiah. What's going on? Right? And Nehemiah says, well, if I can be honest with you, I just heard some really bad news about my hometown. It's been messed up for a long time and it's still messed up and nobody's doing anything about it. Right? And the king says, what do you need? Isn't that cool? What do you need? And that's a good place to be in when you've got a problem and the king says, what do you need? Right? So, so, so Nehemiah's like, well, I'm probably going to need this and I'm probably going to need that. 
I'm probably going to need this. And the king's like, you got this. Isn't it cool that Nehemiah had established a relationship with the king of Babylon and he had lived in such a way with integrity, with honesty, with hard work. He was, he had such character about him that he wanted to repair his hometown, which had nothing to do with Babylon. And the king said, I got you. Isn't that awesome? Right? He was an upstanding citizen and he did his job so well to the point where he gained favor in the eyes of the king of Babylon. So the king said, let's help you get this project going. So the king began to get resources ready. He wrote him letters and, and that way if anybody tried to bother uh, Nehemiah and those who were traveling to do this work on their way there, they would show them a letter and say, probably don't want to mess with us because king of Babylon's got our back. Right? Oh, okay, got it. It's got his seal, it's got his signature, it's got his stamp. And so Nehemiah begins to go, and it says here in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. It says, then I said to them, and this is the uh, fellow uh, Israelites who, who had come together to kind of take a look and inspect what had taken place uh, at, at Jerusalem and how, how things were going there. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. I want all the men to say, rebuild the wall. That was all right. I want, to try, I want us to try that a little bit better in a way that's convincing, okay? All the men, ready, say, rebuild the wall. There we go. Okay, come on. Uh, all the ladies join in on us. Let's say it together. Rebuild the wall. There we go. Um, so, so Nehemiah says, come, let us rebuild the wall and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. Let us start rebuilding. Um, so they began this good work in chapter two. I love it, right? We're, we're, let, let's track the progression of this story. It starts out with a broken situation. And then it leads to somebody whose heart was broken about that broken situation. Okay? And then, because they had internalized that, it led to spreading the news about what can be done about the broken situation. See, all the way up until these first three steps, nothing yet had been done other than recognizing that something needs to be done. And then finally, he opens his mouth and the people now say back to him, let's get started. Do we start tomorrow? Right? Do we have what we need? So in this moment, right, all of a sudden, Nehemiah becomes a fantastic leader. Why? Because he saw something that was broken and wasn't satisfied and said it could be different. And everybody said, let's go pursue that. We got your back. Right? Isn't it awesome how when we have a vision all of a sudden now it becomes a lot more attainable where people come together and say, I see that vision with you and I want to be part of it. And somebody else says, I see that vision too and I want to be part of it. Imagine if we as the body of Christ weren't those who just showed up on Sunday morning to sing cool songs and listen to somebody talk about the Bible. But what if we came together and said, we see the broken wall and we want to be part of rebuilding it. Right? Imagine if we recognize that God has a purpose for why we're together as a people of God. And it's not just so that we could enjoy being together on Sunday mornings. It's so that we can come together on a Sunday because God's got work for us on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. 
And so Nehemiah pointed it out and said, something's got to be done. Here's what I'm trying to do about it. Somebody else says, okay, well, I could do this and I could do that. I want you to go now and we're going to finish with this. Okay. And this is where I'm calling out all the men and the young men to simply say this. Are you going to be part of tearing down the wall that God's trying to build in this kingdom society? Are you going to be just those who stand around and watch and say, what a pity. Somebody should do something about that, but eat popcorn while the smoke is still rising from the ashes. Or are you going to be part of rebuilding the wall? And that's the choice that you have to answer for yourself, right? Um, Because the bottom line is there's a lot of work to do in this culture and society that God has placed us in. There's a lot of work to do in the city of Los Angeles. There's a lot of work to do in our own homes and in our own marriages. We don't even have to look overseas to figure out a problem that needs God's attention. There's a lot of work to be done. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of rebuilding. Okay? Um, And I want to bring some people with me too. Right? When I rebuild the wall, I want to see my son with a shovel next to me, right? I want to see my daughter right there picking, picking up some stubble and rocks and clearing it out for the next brand new bricks to be laid, right? We want to do this together. So chapter three, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read the first few verses so you can get a sense of it. And then I want to point something out. Verse one of chapter three, it says, Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its towers in place, building as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Metamoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The Jeshanah gate was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulum. Okay, I'm not going to keep going, because that's a lot of Hebrew names that are hard to pronounce. But if you have your Bible, it's interesting to know. I highlighted this in mine because it, it taught me something. And maybe this might teach you something and us something as a body as well. But as you read through chapter 3, about 30 times, 20 to 30 times, you're going to find the word next or adjoining. Right? It's going to say next to or adjoining. In other words, as they were trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, it was a group effort. It wasn't just Nehemiah that rebuilt the wall. It wasn't even just Nehemiah plus two or three hard workers. The entire people came together and they each took a section to repair. Right? And, 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 I, and I love it because chapter three just starts listing all the families and it said them, so-and-so, they, they got that, that, that side. And, and these other folks, they got that side and they got that side until the whole wall was rebuilt. And one of the things that, that dawned on me as I, as I reflect on this teamwork, as I reflect on this partnership, as I reflect on what this was like to be part of this project, imagine that up until this point, right, the decades that have passed since the wall was torn down in the first place, nothing had been done about it. So as far as these families were concerned, there was no more Jerusalem. There was never, ever going to be a Jerusalem anymore right? Because they had seen nothing but rubble and ash for decades upon decades. A narrative had to be changed that God wasn't through with them yet. 
And somebody had to stand up and say, well, then what are we going to do about it? And the moment that Nehemiah said something about it, all of a sudden the people responded. And within days, they rebuilt the wall that had been broken for decades. I mean, I don't know how many people probably had conversations that said it's a lost cause. We might as well just get used to wherever we're living, get used to Babylon, get used to all these other cities and nations in the diaspora that we've been scattered to and just set up shop there. We just give up on Jerusalem. That's a dream that, you know, King David once had and it's no longer there. And all of a sudden it took one man to say, nah, nah, God's not done with us yet. And all of a sudden something that had been destroyed for decades was rebuilt in days. It's Father's Day. Um, we've got rubble in our lives. We've got rubble in our homes. We've got rubble in our hearts. Um, there, are, there are things in our life that we've said, you know what? It's a lost cause. I don't know if there's any hope for that to be restored. Any hope for that to be rebuilt. It's probably just going to remain rubble forever and ever. I, I, I wonder if there are any Nehemiah like folks here this morning who will say, God, with your help, with your guidance and your provision, what has been rubble can be rebuilt again when we place our trust in you. Lord, if it's your will, and if we band together and recognize that shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, we can rebuild some things. If, if we have a generation of men who won't take no for an answer, who will say, God will restore our families. Who will say, God will restore our communities. We won't allow things like drugs, things like gangs, things like racism, things like separation, things like hatred, things like sin, lust, pornography. We're not going to allow all these things that are constantly trying to war against our homes and against our nation to win out. Instead, we're going to say, we will rebuild the wall. I love uh, this chapter three. That's it stands out to me significantly because when I see the level of participation, like a hundred percent participation, everybody was involved, right? Everybody had a job to do. Everybody contributed. Um, I imagine, like at the end of it, when they put the last stone on and the wall was rebuilt, they probably had like a carne asada barbecue inside the walls. So they could stare at that work. Any of you like to do a project and then when you're done, you kind of stare at it for a little while, right? I do. I, I look at it and I try, I'm like, oh man, I should have done that better and that better, but I like the way that part turned out, right? They're probably enjoying a barbecue, watching this wall that they worked so hard to build. But I think something even more special was happening during that time. The wall was really symbolic of God rebuilding a people. Because prior to rebuilding the wall, they were scattered as a people. They weren't on the same page. They didn't have a common vision. They weren't even sure if they were going to exist as a people anymore beyond that point. But the wall gave them a purpose and a reason to see that God still had a plan for the people of Israel. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for your children. God has a plan for your grandchildren and for your communities. Right? And as we celebrate Father's Day today, this is an invitation and an opportunity for us to say, Lord, use me 
to be a rebuilder of the wall, right? Use me to change the narrative, okay? That what can be destroyed overnight, God can rebuild as long as we place our trust fully in him, right? As long as we run to him and say, Lord, I want to see this change, and I don't have what it takes to do it. All of a sudden, God says, I got you because I love your heart. I love your spirit. I love your desire. We can do this together. Amen?